Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you so much listening to Bible Crossfire every week at this same time. I say this quite often. Hope I don't bore you to tears with it, but any Bible question or comment is game. We want it to relate to the Bible, not sports or not politics or anything like that. The Bible. The only rule is the Bible is going to be the guide. The Bible is going to be the thing that settles any issue, that answers any questions. We're not going to allow this. The right. We're not going to say, well, the right answer to the question is what the majority thinks. Or the right answer to the question is what will bring the most people into your church. Or the right answer is what we think is right. Or, or the right answer is what is politically correct. Uh, the right answer is what the Bible says. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So the word of God defines for us what the truth is. Not what we think, not what we feel. I, I was telling somebody the other day, I hear people say all the time, well, God told me this or God told me that. Well, if that's true, why don't you record it? If God is really telling you something, then you ought to record it because then if you play back that recording, it should convert every atheist out there. Nobody has ever recorded it. And that's because God's not telling you anything except through his word. He spoke through his representatives, Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophets. Ephesians 3, 3 through 4 explains it. Paul wrote it down as a New Testament prophet so that when we read it, we can understand it. The way God communicates to us is through his word. He doesn't talk to you directly. You can't go by your feelings. That's what most believers, most religious people want to do. They want to go by their feelings. So they feel like gay marriage is okay. So they say, since I feel that way, then God must be telling me it's okay. No, if you feel that way, then God's not telling you that. That has nothing. God's going to tell you what's right about that issue in the Bible. And he says that homosexuality is a sin, Romans 1, 26 and 27. So it doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter how we feel about women preachers. It doesn't matter how, how we feel about once saved, always saved, or whether or not a person has to be baptized to be saved. About our feelings about it have, doesn't have anything to do with it because God doesn't tell us anything through our feelings. He doesn't need to. He's already told us the answer to those questions in black and white. It's in your Bible. If he says in the Bible that it's a shame for women to speak in the church, and he does in 1 Corinthians 14, 35, then it doesn't really matter how we think about it, how we feel about it, or what's politically correct, or what are bringing the most people. None of that matters, because God's already revealed to us the truth on that issue. So as I say, and I may be beating a dead horse, that's the only rule in this program is that the Bible decides all the issues, decides, answers all the questions. If you have a Bible question or comment, then you can call us at 877-655-6755. The lines are wide open. The last several weeks, we've been talking about if conditional statements in the New Testament. And I'm just going through the New Testament in order, all the if conditional statements that I found. And some of these if statements I've, I've noticed aren't really conditional. Almost all of them are, though. Almost all if statements are conditional. But here's the next one on the list. First John 1, 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. I've talked to people just recently who I try to study with, and they say, no, you don't have to really follow God's word to be in fellowship with God, to be in a saved relationship with God, because they say, well, look, everybody sins, and so it doesn't really matter how you live. But this says if you walk in darkness, I mean, if you don't follow God's word, 
then you're not going to have fellowship with God. And you can't be saved unless you're in fellowship with God. You're a liar if you say that you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, because if you're walking in darkness, you don't have fellowship with him. That's the point of the passage. So don't think you can live any old way you want to. Well, I can divorce and remarry in violation of Matthew 19, 9, you know, and still be okay, stay in that second, that adulterous marriage, according to Matthew 19, 9, because I'm a Christian. So some people say, well, since I'm a Christian, I can do anything I want to and still be saved. No, this says, if you say you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, if you do that, you're a liar. <laughs> Only those who walk in the truth, as we see in the next one, my next one on the list, 1 John 1, 7, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So we can't walk in darkness. We can't be practicing sin. We have to walk in the light. That means following God's word, living according to God's instruction. That's the only way we can have fellowship with one another. And then if we'll walk in the light, do what God says, then the blood of Christ will cleanse us from all sin, meaning all the times that we weren't doing what God said. You know, that's talking about Christians, but it could the same thing could be said about non-Christians. When a person becomes a Christian, he begins his walk in the light, and all the sins that he committed when he was not in the light are forgiven. Same thing with a Christian. A Christian who sins needs to turn from that sin, start walking in the light, and when he starts walking in the light, when he confesses his sins, as we'll see in a minute, then he'll be forgiven for all the times he didn't walk in the light, the sin. And we all sin. Hopefully, when we become a Christian, we're going to sin a whole lot less than we did before we became a Christian, but nobody lives perfectly. But you don't respond to that by saying, since nobody lives perfectly, it's okay to sin. Since everybody sins, it's okay to sin. No, that just means everybody needs to improve. But it's true, everybody sins. First John 1, 8 says, it's one of my if statements. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if we say that we have never sinned, that we don't sin ever, then we're a liar. Even Christians sin occasionally. Hope, as I said, hopefully a lot less than we, before we became a Christian. First John 1.10 says about the same thing. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the Christian sins. Now that brings us to the verse in between verse 8 and 10. How can a Christian be forgiven of his sin? Now, there's a lot of passages in the New Testament that talk about what a person who's a sinner, never become a Christian, never been born again, what he has to do to be born again, to be forgiven of his sins initially. Like, for example, Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But 1 John 1, 9 is talking to Christians. After we become a Christian, we sin. Now, Acts 2, 38, Peter told believers to repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. So baptism was when you, when you received the forgiveness of all your sin, but baptism won't do any good, according to that verse, unless you repent first. You commit, make up your mind, you're going to quit serving sin, you're going to start serving Christ, you're going to start serving righteousness. God expects you, after you're baptized, after you're forgiven, to follow through on that commitment. Nobody lives perfectly except Christ, though. So after we sin, how are we? after we become a Christian and we sin, how do we be forgiven then? 1 John 1, 9 is written to Christians. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So a Christian, he doesn't have to go back and be rebaptized every time he sins, but he does have to confess his sins. A Christian who sinned in Acts 8, verse 22, Simon was told to repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness 
and pray God, if perhaps the thought of in a heart, they may be forgiven. So if you want to be forgiven as a Christian of your sins, you have to repent of them. You have to confess them. That's the force of this if statement. That's what we mean by an if conditional statement. First John 1, 9 fits the pattern. If we confess our sins, he, talking about God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But the implication is if, as a Christian, we don't confess our sins, we're not willing to turn from them, we're not willing to confess them, he won't forgive us. And we can't go to heaven, of course, if we have unforgiven sin. If you have a Bible question or comment for us, please call us at 877-655-6755. The number to call, the lines are wide open. If you want to get on the air with your Bible question or comment, 877-655-6755. The next if conditional statement on my list is 1 John 2, 1. It says, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Well, what is it saying there? It's saying, it's, it's not saying that if you, if you don't sin, you don't have an advocate. That's not what it's saying. It's basically saying if you have a sin, you're going to need the advocate. We all sin, 1 John 1, verse 10, verse 8. But if we sin, uh, well, the, the exhortation is 1 John 2, 1, that you sin not. That's what God expects of us. He said, I write unto you that you sin not. That's what God wants Christians to do. Sin not. It's kind of like what Jesus told the the woman caught in adultery in John 8, 4. John chapter 8, go and sin no more. That's the command. Go and sin no more. He writes to us that we sin not. That should be our goal. Our goal shouldn't be, well, let's try to do five out of every ten things right. No, let's do all that God has said. Let's do all of it. So that when we fail, we're going to be disappointed and we repent. And so it says here, do not sin. But if you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is going to be our advocate. Because of his death, we can receive forgiveness for that sin if we're willing to confess that sin. He said two or three verses before that. You see that? If we confess them, he's willing to forgive us. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Confession wouldn't do any good if you didn't have the blood of Christ. So you have Jesus Christ as an advocate so that when you confess, the blood of Christ will wash away your sin. And then 1 John 2, verse 3, it says, Hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. Now, that's a truth that most people in the denominational world want to ignore. How do you know that you know God? How do you know that you know Jesus Christ? If you keep his commandments, well, what's the implication? If you don't keep his commandments, you don't know him. You don't know him. A lot of people say, I know Christ. I've accepted Christ, but they don't keep his commandments. <laughs> that doesn't jive with this passage, does it? Hereby, we do know that we know him if we could keep his commandments. Again, what is the force of that if conditional statement? Well, that means if you don't keep his commandments, you don't know God. And if you don't know God, of course, you're not going to be saved. I'm turning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. You may remember this passage because I, I quote it quite frequently on this, pass, on this program. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 says, it's talking about God. It says, inflaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So avoid to avoid God's vengeance, flaming fire vengeance, to avoid the everlasting destruction that's mentioned in verse 9. And this is written to Christians. You have to know God and you have to obey the gospel. And it says here that you don't know God if you don't keep his commandments. So you got to know him. you got to obey the gospel. It takes trust 
and obedience. Not just believing in Christ, but trust and obedience. Meg from Rhode Island, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. So it's very long-winded, and I have to give you a little background to get to where I want to ask my Bible question. I was Catholic. I was born again a year and a few months ago and became a Christian. Started going to a new church with my 32-year-old daughter who had married a Christian, and we were having kind of a a little bit of a tip with the family because we were Catholic and he was always cherry-picking, you know, Bible verses and living according to certain verses. And through the two years they've been married, he's a cop. He, um, My daughter's been less and less active with the family. She just had twins. He ended up having a blow-up with my husband and myself over the cleanliness of the house. We cleaned the house when they were in the hospital and he took out a no trespassing order against us. And I've always had a key. I took care of his cats. He always told me I was a great Christian. Background on him, he's been through four churches since I met him in two years because he always has arguments with the churches over policy. And he's divorced from um, a Catholic and then, you know, left three Christian churches. Now my daughter, and I haven't seen my grandchildren in six months, she's blocked my husband, my son also, his wife, and my three daughters have banded together. And now the pastor of the church, because my husband and I have started being Christian because we thought this was the basis of the argument that we were Catholic and they were Christian. Um, The pastor, a couple of weeks ago, I saw my daughter in church. I haven't seen her in six months. She was holding one of her twins, and I went over and I hugged her, and I was like, oh, my God, I love you. I thought it was a divine intervention. They called that a confrontation, and they called the pastor, and they asked the pastor to have me not go to church or they were going to leave. The pastor took me aside and said he's worried about them. And that I, you know, I'm just so evolved. And could I just come on Tuesdays? And I said, you're not serious. Like, you're going to ask me. He's like, well, they feel that your hug wasn't received well and that that was a confrontation. And he said, I did watch it on the security camera. All you did was hug her. But it's how they felt about it. And Meg, so, of course. Meg, I'm, yep. I think it'd be better if we, if we talked about this offline, Okay. Okay. I'm going to call you back sometime later this evening and try to talk to you about this offline, okay? Thank you. Thank you very much for your call. Sabrina from Iowa, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes. Hey, um, I uh, have a question. Actually, my brother asked me today. So he is in a drug rehabilitation program right now. Him and I were both baptized when we were teenagers. And we both actually fell away from our faith for a number of years until we were in our mid-20s. And uh, praise God, like I said, he's in a he's come back and he's in a program now that's uh, leading him back to Christ. But he's since then found a church and expressed to me today that he's been feeling pressured by some members at this church to get re-baptized. And they keep telling him that the first time he was baptized, basically doesn't count because it wasn't a full body submersion. It was like, a you know, he just sprinkled some water in our head kind of thing. Um, and his response was, you know, is this right that I should be doing this, even though I don't feel called to get baptized again? Okay. 
Sabrina, you should he should never do anything unless he believes it for himself. But let me read to you. Roman, hey, Sabrina, you need to turn your radio down. Oh, I'm sorry. Turn your radio all the way down because we're getting the feedback. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So, Sabrina, when somebody dies and we take them out to the graveyard to bury them, does that mean we sprinkle a little dirt on their head or we put them all the way up under the ground? <laughs> up on the ground. Yeah, so that's what the, we know what the word buried means, and this is we're buried with Christ in baptism. So, yes, they're right that baptism is a burial, is an immersion of a believer, not sprinkling of a baby or not the sprinkling of an adult, but it's a mm. immersion of a believer. He doesn't need, he needs to be sure, though, himself. Uh, let me ask you something. Would it be okay if I call you later? Maybe we can set up a Bible study and talk about it in depth, okay? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Okay, thank you, Sabrina, for your call. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. You know, that's a good question. What about a person who's been sprinkled for baptism? Have they been immersed? Have they ever been baptized, really? People say, well, why would you ever need to get to baptized again? Well, we have an example of that. In Acts 19, 1 through 5, we have an example of some people who were immersed as believers. But they needed to be rebaptized because it was based upon an outdated belief. They were baptized, evidently, based upon the belief that the Messiah is coming, when Jesus had already come and died and been resurrected. So at that, by that time, you need to be baptized based upon the belief that Jesus had, had come, that the Messiah, the Son of God was, excuse me, the Messiah was Jesus Christ, that he had died, been resurrected. They had been baptized based upon a false belief. They need to be rebaptized. So it shouldn't surprise us that somebody might need to be rebaptized. We have a case of that in Acts, in Acts chapter 19, 1 through 5, and they had been immersed. So, yes, if a person's only been sprinkled for baptism, they've never really been baptized. The, the very word itself, baptizo, the Greek word translated baptism, means immersion, to submerge. In Romans 6, verse 4, as we quoted just now, it says we're buried with Christ in baptism. We know what the word buried means. That means So that means when we baptize somebody, we're not going to just sprinkle a little water on their head. We'll put them all the way up under the water. It's a burial. Verse 5 says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Baptism, then, is supposed to look like, be a likeness of the burial of Christ. And, and, and I get it, don't you? When a person goes down into the water, it looks like they're being buried, like a person's being buried. When they come out of the water, it, looks, it would look like the resurrection of Christ. So baptism is supposed to look like the burial and the resurrection of Christ, if you take this and one or two other passages together, sprinkling doesn't do that at all. So, you know, Jesus said in John 8, 32, well, he said in John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, which would imply we're not a true disciple if we don't continue in his word. His word teaches immersion for baptism of believers for the remission of sins, Acts two thirty eight. So we have to do it that way. He said in John 8, 32, the next verse, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Only the truth will make us free from sin. Following false teaching won't do it. That's a very good call. Appreciate it. If you have a Bible question or comment, 
give us a call at 877-655-6755, 877-655-6755. So we've been talking again about the if conditional statements in the New Testament. 1 John 2.15 says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Here's that if statement. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. The Father is not, God the Father is not going to love you in the sense of providing salvation for you if you love the world. If you love the world, you've got to give up the sinful pleasures of the world to please God and to be saved. And then 1 John 3.13, the Bible says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. And there's a valid point there. We see that in a number of places in the New Testament. If we stand for the truth, the world's going to hate us. For example, perfect example in our day and time today, if you preach the truth against homosexuality and say they're in sin and have to repent to be saved, the world, for the most part, is going to hate you. They don't like that. John 15, 18 and 19, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So if we stand for the same things Christ stood for, we should expect to be hated by the world. He was. And if we stand for the same things that he did, we're going to be hated by the world. He goes on to say in John 15, 25, but this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. People will hate you if you teach the truth. But we've got to teach the truth anyway. And then 1 John 3, 20 and 21 says, For if, there's our if statement, our if word, for if our heart condemneth, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemneth us not, then we have confidence toward God. Sometimes people get mixed up. They say, well, if a heart condemns us, God's greater and he's He's not going to condemn us. That's not what it's saying. It's saying if you know that you've done wrong, well, then certainly God is going to know that you've done wrong. And so you'll be condemned. Don't think you can hide something from God. You know you did something wrong, but God doesn't know about it. It's saying, no, that if you know something you're condemned for, sin, then of course God's going to know about it. He's greater than your heart. He knows more than you do, even about yourself. If you if you if your heart condemns you, of course, then God's also going to condemn you because if you know you've done something wrong, He knows it too. Then the opposite of that, beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. Now that doesn't say necessarily we're going to be saved. It says if our heart condemns us not, then we can have confidence because that just means we don't know anything that we haven't repented of. We don't know anything, any sin that we still have on our account. But that doesn't mean necessarily that we're not condemned. Because we might be following false teaching. Suppose somebody has been sprinkled for baptism and they think they're okay. Their heart's not condemning them. That doesn't prove that they're, that they're following the Bible, though, just because they've got the wrong understanding of the Bible. Only the truth will set us free from sin. John 8, 32. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. 1 John 4, 11 and 12 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. God only dwells in us and his love is only perfected in us if we love one another. If we love one another, meaning if we don't love one another, God does not dwell in us. His love is not perfected in us. We're not going to be saved. 1 John 4, 20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, 
he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So, again, here's that if statement. If a, if a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. The point of it is you can't, if you, can, you can't love God if you don't love your brother because you've never even seen God. So you've got to love your brother if you want to say that you love God. How about Revelation 3.20? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. If you hear his voice, he will come in unto you, implying that if you don't hear his voice, he won't. Revelation 22, 18 and 19, for I testify again that every man that heareth the words of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city for things which, in, which are written in this book. We can't add to or take away from the word of God. If we do, our name's going to be taken out of the book of life. We won't be saved. If you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753. Free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience. Call or text 256-682-9753.